going to continue tonight with our study of redemption accomplished and applied. And as you see here on the list, uh, the Ordo Salutis, um, we now come to perseverance. So we're at the second to last, the penultimate study in this, in this series. Murray does have a chapter in the book on our union with Christ, and perhaps I should, but I don't think I will do a lesson uh, devoted to that. But uh, I plan to uh, cover perseverance this evening, and then the next time we'll finish our study with glorification and just look at the, the specific acts in the Ordo Salutis, mainly because I, I think that uh, from the beginning of this series and really in every session, we have talked about the, the vital union that, that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know that all of these things flow out from the union that we have with Him, which was wrought about by the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, as we work our way through the Ordo Salutis, uh, God has taught us a lot about what He has done to accomplish and apply our salvation. And we've seen the complete and full atonement secured by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that back when we were studying redemption accomplished. Um, and and we've, we saw that the Lord Jesus did not make a partial atonement, nor did He save us from some of our sins, uh, he didn't get, get something started and then leave it, the rest for us to do, but he made a complete work there upon the cross. And now we've been studying for a number of weeks the personal work of the Holy Spirit who makes us to partake of the benefits of Christ's salvation. Remember when we started, redemption applied. I asked the, the big question, how does the work of Jesus Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago, come to personally affect you in this day and age, right? And so we saw how the Holy Spirit, through effectual calling and regeneration and conversion, faith and repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, how He has done all of these things so that we can come to be active partakers of the work of Christ. And we've been made to marvel at the beautiful scheme of redemption that God Himself has both designed and executed. Well, now as we come to the subject of perseverance, we will see that a great salvation such as our God has provided does us no good if it can ever be lost, forfeited, or taken away. I'll say that again. When we come to the subject of perseverance, we will see that a great salvation such as our God has provided, does us no good if it can ever be lost, forfeited, or taken away. Perseverance in the Ordo Salutis, then, is an act that concerns the keeping power of God to secure us in our union with Christ, through which we receive all the benefits of redemption. God keeps us in union with Christ. And the doctrine of perseverance is God's blessed promise to the believer that the same grace that saved him will be the grace that keeps him saved. Perseverance, then, is the act in the ordo that ensures the fulfillment and the culmination of all the others. Well, for various reasons, there is confusion, and even some rejection 
of the doctrine of perseverance. Sometimes perseverance is overly simplified to a mere pledge that if you made a decision for Christ at some point in your life, then you'll go to heaven when you die no matter what. Right? And that's how many believe perseverance to work. But there's a lot more to that uh, when it comes to the doctrine of perseverance. A lot more than that. Well, sometimes perseverance is presented as a contribution that we must make to maintain our salvation. As if perseverance is our work. And God saves us, but we are the ones who must do the work of persevering. Well, this leaves us with no peace in the Christian life. This leaves us always wondering if we've done enough to persevere. <coughs> well, sometimes perseverance appears to be contradicted by portions of Scripture that seem to teach at face value that believers can and do fall away from Christ and lose their salvation. Uh, we'll come back to these and look at them, but let me just read a couple of them for you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. The Bible says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Doesn't that teach that Christians can lose their salvation? Or what about John 15, verses 1-2? through 2? I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. See? Plain, right? Losing your salvation. Well, that's what some believe. And then, so they deny the doctrine of perseverance because of some of those texts. And we'll look at some of those texts later on. Well, something as important as the security of our eternal salvation at stake. It is imperative that we biblically articulate and affirm the doctrine of perseverance. And there's a, a few ways that this study could be approached, a number of ways this study could be approached, but one helpful way to consider perseverance, and it's the way Murray does it in his book, is to consider perseverance as standing in contradiction to two fatal errors. So we're going to look at perseverance, the biblical doctrine of perseverance, in contradiction to two fatal errors I'll give you the errors and I'll define them and we'll talk about them. But the first error is the antinomian error. Antinomian error of uh, presumption or license. Now, the word antinomian comes from two words, anti and nomos. Nomos is the Greek word for law. So antinomian equals uh, lawless or against law. Lawless or against law. And an antinomian is someone who lives their life with no regard for the law of God. Uh, the antinomian error is, is one of the, the uh, errors that, that we must stand perseverance in stark contrast towards. Well, the second error is the Arminian error. And the Arminian, uh, the Arminian error 
is an error that teaches a falling from grace, a falling away. So there are two errors on opposite ends of the spectrum. Falling away or losing salvation. And we'll look at these now for the remainder of our time. Another way that we could state this outline is, is what perseverance isn't and what perseverance is. So this kind of highlights what perseverance isn't, and this kind of highlights what perseverance is. Okay? Um, let's look first at the, the antinomian error, and let's look at what perseverance is not. Okay? Perseverance, as Murray so eloquently points out, is not the perseverance of everyone who makes a profession of faith. Sometimes the doctrine of perseverance, and I know you've all heard this term, sometimes the doctrine of perseverance is unfortunately labeled as the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Now why do I say that's an unfortunate label? Well, the terminology is problematic because of what it implies. The implication of once saved, always saved is that if you at one point in your life, made a decision for Christ, prayed a prayer, asked Jesus into your heart, then you are saved in that moment, and no matter what you do from then on now, or how you live your life, you will certainly go to heaven, because once saved, always saved. The, the, the subtle implication of once saved, always saved, is that it, it all depends on this one decision you made sometime, maybe 25 years ago at Vacation Bible School. You gave your life to Jesus at summer camp, and you've gone on to live like hell for the rest of your life, but once saved, always saved. So if that decision was sincere, if you really made that decision 25 years ago, nothing else matters in the Christian life. Once saved, always saved. Well, that's not perseverance. By definition, the problem with this kind of perseverance is that it allows for an incipient antinomianism, which teaches that someone can be truly saved while living with no regard for the law of God and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to be clear, we do affirm the security of the believer. So we do believe that if God really did save you 25 years ago at summer camp, Yes, you, you are saved and you will always be saved. We believe that. But we believe that if he really did save you 25 years ago at summer camp, there's going to be a perseverance that characterizes your life from then on out. I, I like how, I think it was Paul Washer who says, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in if saved, always saved. <laughs> if you're really saved, you're really saved. So we believe in the security of the believer, and we emphatically deny any doctrine which teaches that the Christian maintains his salvation by his good works. So don't hear me saying that I believe that, well, you, you know, you, you're saved by faith in Christ, but then in order to persevere, you must maintain your salvation through your good works. That is not what I'm saying at all. Here's what we don't believe in. We don't believe in a security of the believer that is irrespective of holiness in the believer's life. I want you to think of perseverance as something that has to do not just with what happens to you when you die, but as a work that is already taking place in your life right now. If you're a Christian, you are persevering right now. Well, well, persevering in what? 
That's the question, right? Persevering in what? Well, persevering in the Christian life. You're not living like an unbeliever. You're not living in sin. You're not living in worldliness. You're not living in the sins that you say Jesus has saved you from. And some people, they, they, they will profess that they're saved, but you look at their life and you say, saved from what? You don't look like you're saved from anything. Eternal life is not just something you get when you die. You understand that? If you are a believer, you have eternal life right now. And that eternal life is a life of following Jesus Christ in evangelical holiness, key phrase, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Perseverance is the work of God, but it's a work that He's going to do in His people Perseverance is not just an act of God's grace that will get you to heaven when you die. It's an act of God's grace that will sustain you in this life to walk in godliness. John Murray said this, quote, Perseverance means the engagement of our persons in the most intense and concentrated devotion to those means which God has ordained for the achievement of His saving purpose. So to put that in other words, perseverance is not sitting around indulging in the lusts of the flesh, living with no concern for what is pleasing to God, just waiting to die and go to heaven. That's not perseverance. Think about not, not just the theological definition, but what does it mean in the plain sense of the term to persevere, right? There's a, there's a sense of, of striving, right? There's a sense of, of action. There's, a, there's a, a passion there, someone who's persevering, right? He's not someone who's defeated. He's not someone who's sitting around like a bump on the log. No, he's someone who is, who is moving towards a goal, towards a destination. He's persevering. Perseverance involves a striving after and an earnest devotion to the means that God has given for our perseverance. Perseverance is a work of God, like all the other acts in the Ordo Salutis, but it's not an immediate work, meaning God uses means to accomplish this work and with perseverance, what really differentiates perseverance along with sanctification is that perseverance is not punctiliar. Perseverance does not happen at one moment in time. But perseverance is something that, that is an ongoing, continuous work from the moment you're saved till the moment you're glorified. You persevere in the faith. And what are the means of your perseverance? Well, to ask it another way, what does God use to keep you saved? Sometimes we don't like to, to think about that kind of language, right? But it's true, brothers and sisters. God keeps us saved. He keeps us saved. We sing the song, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. That's perseverance. To persevere in the Christian life means no matter how much the devil assails you, no matter how much temptation attacks you, no matter how many hardships you face, by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, by the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ, you persevere, you endure, you keep following Him. We know that uh, what these things are, what God uses... Because we've, we've studied the means of grace when we considered the act of sanctification, right? Things like the Word of God, the ministry of the church, Christian fellowship. 
Perseverance involves a pursuance of these things in the Christian life. So it's as simple as this. Someone who is not committing themselves to the means of perseverance cannot be identified as one who is persevering. At the same time, the one who is persevering in the faith cannot take credit and receive glory for his perseverance because those who persevere do so by the grace of God who works in them to do of his good will. So again, we see, much like sanctification, really, you can almost look at sanctification and perseverance as two aspects of the same ongoing work in your life. You persevere in sanctification. So as you are sanctified, you continue to persevere, right? And it's God who does the work. So how did we, what was the phrase we used when we talked about sanctification? Utterly dependent yet intensely active. Utterly dependent yet intensely active. Do you see why I prefer the term perseverance of the saints over once saved, always saved? Because it, it, perseverance of the saints connotes this idea of, of action, of passion, of vigor, of gusto in the Christian life. Brothers, this is how we must understand the words of Jesus. When he says things like Matthew 24, 13, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Is Jesus in that verse teaching some sort of works-based salvation and saying, well, if you work really hard, if you try hard enough, then at the end of your life, you'll be saved. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that those who maintain a life of good works, it's not that they earn their salvation, right? But he's saying that when God truly saves a sinner, his grace, this grace of God, endures in their life unto the end. Unto the end. And the Bible, let me, let me qualify what I've said thus far with this. The Bible is careful not to give us a strict rubric on the degree of the believer's perseverance. Okay? Just like some Christians are... Uh, sanctified at different rates, at different paces, to different degrees. Some Christians are more sanctified than other Christians. Well, some Christians persevere more than other Christians. Some Christians keep themselves more unspotted from the world than other Christians. Uh, some Christians are beset by sin and by temptation more than other Christians. So we're not looking at a, at a rubric. We're not talking here about quality or about quantity, but quantity. And by the way, we're not called to examine every other believer to see if they're persevering enough. We're not asking, you know, are they doing enough good works to prove their perseverance? But rather, the question is, is there a change? And is there ongoing faith and repentance? Ultimately, that's what we're persevering in. We're fighting the fight of faith. We, we continue to believe. We continue to repent. We continue to follow Christ, that's perseverance. And it's something that He does in us and He works out in us. Perseverance of the saints doesn't mean a, a, a perfect life of sinlessness after conversion. It's not what perseverance of the saints means. But there will be a change. However imperfect and however inconsistent and however many times we fail, the grace of God will change us. We believe in perseverance of the saints, not just the perseverance of all who profess. We believe in the security of the believer, not the security of the one who makes a decision. 
So if God saved you, His grace will change you and cause you to live a life of perseverance as you follow Christ in true godliness until He receives you to Himself in heaven. So I hope that's clear. This is one of those issues where you have to be so careful because you don't want to come across as teaching uh, that somehow uh, our works earn or merit our salvation in any way, shape, or form. But you also want to be careful not to fall into the antinomian error of, of basically saying that it's all about this one-time decision and then from then on, nothing else matters from that point, right? That's the error of antinomianism. Well, the second error is the Arminian error, the error of Arminianism. And so we've looked at what perseverance is not, right? Perseverance is not um, a, a life of, of sin and a life of, of, of worldliness, that's based on some one-time decision 20 years ago or whatever the case may be. But now let's look at what perseverance is. Because on the other end of the spectrum, whereas the antinomian basically says, hey, if you made a decision one time, you're in for good. Well, the Arminian error teaches that if you don't maintain a life of good works, then you will lose your salvation. You will lose the, the saving benefits of Christ's Death. And I want to clarify here, when we call this the Arminian, um, the Arminian error, I, I, I want you to know I'm referring to classic Arminianism in its historic definition. So oftentimes today, we will refer to just anyone who doesn't believe the five points of Calvinism and say, they're an Arminian. Well, the truth is, they're not really a, a full Arminian, because a, a full-fledged Arminian denies the security of the believer. Now, uh, most of them will, most people who we would, we would identify as Arminians today would still affirm the security of the eternal security of the believer. Now, uh, I don't want to get too far on this rabbit trail. If you think about it, if you deny the doctrines of grace, then affirming perseverance of the saints really is inconsistent because if your salvation is ultimately because of a choice you made, then it's very inconsistent to say, well, you made the choice to be saved, but now you don't get the choice to, to reject Christ. Well, if your salvation is ultimately about making a choice to follow Christ, consistency requires you to then later on in your life have the choice to say, uh, no thanks, I'm done being a Christian, I'm done following Christ. But um, nevertheless, it, it's a, what we would call a blessed inconsistency. I'm, I'm thankful uh, that, that there are those who would say that uh, even though salvation is ultimately by the uh, according to the choice of man, that it's a choice that cannot be reneged or cannot be uh, uh, turned back on, right? But classic, I mean, as, as, as it was taught by Jacob Arminius himself, as it was codified uh, in their statements of faith back in the 1500s, classic Arminianism denies the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. And there are still groups today, such as the Church of Christ, such as Mennonites, um, and others, certain Pentecostal groups that still teach that Christians can lose their salvation if they don't maintain a life of good works. Well, this teaching essentially makes perseverance a work of man. And it might not go as far as saying that the sinner is the one who saves himself, but it does posit a view in which the Christian is the one who keeps himself saved. There are several reasons uh, that people believe this. I'm going to address two of them. The first 
is a failure to interpret certain portions of Scripture in their proper context. So let me show you a few of these. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4 is the first one we'll consider tonight. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. The Bible says, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And uh, what phrase in that verse do you think they cling to to supposedly prove that perseverance of the saints is an unbiblical doctrine? Well, they, they prove that, or they cling to this phrase, you have fallen from grace. They say, see there, Paul is talking about Christians that lost their salvation. They fell from grace. But this interpretation is a failure to interpret the verse in its context. When you read verse 4 with its surrounding verses, what Paul's actually saying becomes very clear. Notice, beginning at verse 2, Paul says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And now, he's not here referring just to the act of circumcision, but he's specifically talking about the Judaizing false teachers in the Galatian church that were teaching that you must be circumcised to be saved. Paul is saying, well, if you teach a salvation that requires circumcision, Christ will profit you nothing. And verse 3 says, And again I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Verse 4, You have become estranged from Christ, or you have made Christ of no effect. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. What Paul is saying there is not... He's not talking about individual Christians who've lost their salvation. He's talking about those who have fallen from the doctrine of grace. Paul's saying, you have left the doctrine of salvation by grace, and you've gone back to a doctrine of salvation by works. That's what it means to fall from grace. right? You, you've left the doctrine that teaches we are justified by faith alone, apart from works, and you're now teaching a works-based salvation. Right, that's what, what Paul means there. Well, another one. Let's look at John 15. John 15 and uh, verses 1 and 2, which is a text that we've, uh, we've spent a lot of time in uh, around here when we had that series there in John chapter 15. You remember the words that Jesus spoke there in the upper room? He says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. And here's the key phrase in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he, pur he prunes or he purges it, that it may bear forth more fruit. Well, again, they look at this, the Arminian looks at this, and he says, see there, Jesus is talking about a branch in him that is taken away. So he says, the, bear doesn't, the branch doesn't bear fruit, so it's taken away. Hey, that must be talking about a Christian who doesn't do good works, and so he loses his salvation. Well, do you see how if you, if you don't read the Bible in context and you don't compare Scripture with Scripture, you might be uh, fooled into or deceived into believing such a surface-level view. But remember, again, the context of this chapter. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's not making a distinction between believers who don't bear fruit and lose their salvation and believers who do bear fruit and maintain their salvation, he's making a distinction between true believers who bear fruit in their Christian lives and false professors 
who were never truly saved to begin with, but only attached to him in a merely <coughs> external way. Why do I say this? Well, because remember who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to the 12 disciples here. Why? Because Judas has already left. And when Jesus begins to talk about branches that, that don't bear fruit, about branches that are taken away, he's referencing the apostate among them, Judas Iscariot, who had already left to betray Christ into the hands of sinners. Judas is the dead branch of verse 2. And what does the Bible tell us about Judas? Does the Bible tell us that Judas was a true Christian who lost his salvation because he didn't perform good works? No, the Bible tells us in John 6, verse 70, that Judas was a devil long before his apostasy manifested itself. The teaching of John 15, 2 then, is that those who identify with Christ externally without truly possessing a living faith in Christ will ultimately be exposed and taken away. Another reason why I believe that's the correct interpretation of this verse is because is it not the same John the Apostle who tells us in his epistle, they went out from us? Why? Because they lost their salvation? No, he says they went out from us because they were never of us. If they had been of us, they would have stayed with us, but they went out from us because they were not of us. That's what John tells us. And this is, this is in perfect keeping with the biblical doctrine of perseverance. Well, so there's, a, there's just a simple misunderstanding and misinterpretation of uh, verses in the Bible that lead to this teaching. But the second reason is a detrimental understanding of the biblical doctrine of apostasy. <coughs> what, what is the biblical doctrine of apostasy? Well, it's not the teaching that a true, born-again, justified believer in the Lord Jesus Christ loses his salvation. No, it's, it's the teaching that there are those who make an external profession, who identify with the people of God. Perhaps they even receive baptism, and they, they even join the church, and they, they talk uh, a good talk. And for a while, it seems like they, they truly are uh, Christians, but they manifest their, their unbelief. They manifest that they were never truly saved by their eventual falling away from the faith. Apostasy. Uh, the, the key text for understanding this more than any other, really, is Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. Turn there. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. Verses 4 through 6, really. The Bible does not teach that those who truly possess a, faith, a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can ever truly fall away from a state of justification and lose their salvation. But it does teach the reality of apostasy. An apostate is someone like Judas Iscariot who professes something outwardly that they don't possess inwardly. And it may seem like they begin to follow Christ at some point, but they don't continue. They don't endure to the end. They don't persevere. John Murray says this, quote, It is possible to give all the outward signs of faith in Christ and obedience to Him, to witness for a time a good confession, and show great zeal for Christ and His kingdom, and then lose all interest and become indifferent, if not hostile, to the claims of Christ and His kingdom. Notice how Hebrews 6 describes the apostate. These words should really sober us. 
Notice it says in verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. They were once enlightened. What does that mean? Does that mean they, they were once converted? No. It just means that they were made aware of the truths of Christianity. They were enlightened intellectually. And they, and they gave their assent to those truths. Uh, they heard the gospel. They heard biblical preaching. They heard uh, doctrinal teaching. An apostate is not an unbeliever who never made a profession, who never uh, professed to be a Christian. An apostate is someone who heard the truths of Christianity and even gave their assent to those truths. Said they were once enlightened. Says they tasted of the heavenly gift. Notice the, the words here are very careful. It doesn't say they received the heavenly gift. It doesn't say they possessed the heavenly gift. It says they tasted it. They tasted it. They tasted the heavenly gift. They were exposed to the saving grace of God. They, they saw what it looked like in others in the church. They, they saw what it looked like in others to love the Lord Jesus Christ. They tasted it. They were so close that perhaps... They even felt conviction of their own sin. Perhaps they even felt a sense of their own need for a Savior at one point in time. They tasted it. And then it says this. This is probably the hardest one for us to deal with. It says they became partakers of the Holy Spirit. A time doesn't permit us to really go too into detail. But the Confession of Faith, both the Westminster and the London Baptist Confession... Speak of common operations of the Spirit. Common operations of the Spirit. This refers to the benefits and effects of the Holy Spirit that are common to all people. So, even unbelievers who meet with the church for worship, uh, children uh, of church members, uh, unbelieving visitors, they still receive the benefits of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the church as he works in the church. They, they experience Christian worship. They experience Christian preaching. They experience uh, the common operations of the Spirit. They, they even, to some extent, experience an enlightenment of their minds. But what they don't experience are the saving works of the Holy Spirit. Then it says they, they tasted the good Word of God. They heard the the preaching of the Bible. They heard the proclamation of the gospel. And they tasted the powers of the ages to come. That, that, what does that mean? The, what is the power of the age to come? Well, it's, it's, it's the power that's at work in us that saves us and transforms us and prepares us for heaven. And how did they taste that? Well, they saw it. They saw it in others. They saw the lives of others that had truly been transformed by God's grace, while they yet remain unaffected. And, and Paul says that, that there are those who receive all of these things, but yet they still will fall away. And they put Christ to an open shame by their eventual apostasy, by their eventual manifestation of their unbelief. Well, the biblical truth of apostasy is a scary reality. And it should cause each of us to search our hearts and examine our state before God. But the biblical truth of apostasy does not negate the true teaching of perseverance. Those who persevere will never apostatize because God will keep them by the power 
of His grace. I don't want to leave you with the sad truth of apostasy. Rather, let me conclude with several biblical and confessional declarations of the promise of our perseverance as those who have been called to be saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just read a few portions of Scripture to you. One reading from our Confession of Faith. And you must understand, one of the the important principles of biblical theology is what we call the analogia fide, or the analogy of faith. Meaning that when we are trying to formulate our doctrine, Scripture must be used to interpret Scripture. So if there is a clear passage of Scripture that boldly teaches the perseverance of the saints, then we must use that passage of Scripture to interpret less clear portions. What would be a less clear portion? Well, a less clear portion would be a a portion in which Jesus is giving a parable about a branch. We don't use a parable about a branch to interpret plain, clear, straightforward teachings. So let me give you now... Uh, Really, this is the the home run, so to speak, of perseverance. And I've saved these passages for the end. But let me read to you. This is a a lengthier portion. I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to to give much interpretation here. But it's Romans chapter 8. No surprise there. Verses 28 through 39. Notice what the Bible says. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, To whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Let me just very quickly point out to you that all those whom God justifies... He glorifies. And when you look at the Ordo Salutis, what is in the middle, what is right there in between justification and glorification, it's perseverance. All those who are justified persevere by the grace of God unto their glorification. God does not justify anyone who eventually will lose that justification and fall back into a state of condemnation. Verse 31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the language of perseverance. We're more than conquerors. We persevere. Know how I love verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, and you can add in whatever you jolly well please. No amount of temptation, no amount of satanic oppression, no amount of, of besetting sin, 
Uh, No amount of discouragement, no amount of financial hardship, no amount of church hurt, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. To lose our salvation is to be separated from the Lord Jesus himself and the Bible promises that it is not possible for such a separation to ever take place. But then again in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaking, says this in John 6 and verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Amen. It's not your hold on Christ that saves you. It's, Christ. it's Christ's hold on you. Amen. And He's not going to cast you out. You know what this means? It means that even even if, which it's not possible because of the grace of God that changes our affections and our desires, even if you wanted to be accursed. Remember how Paul said that about, about the salvation of his kinsmen according to the flesh? He said, for I would wish. He didn't say I wish. He said I would wish because he knows it's impossible. He said, even if I could wish myself to be accursed, even if I wanted to apostatize, even if I wanted to condemn myself to hell, he's not casting me out. He's not letting me go. It says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I will raise him up at the last day. And then, of course, John chapter 10 and verse 28. John chapter 10 and verse 28. Jesus says this, And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Amen. So, simple principle of biblical theology, brothers and sisters, these clear, unambiguous, straightforward promises help us to interpret those other verses. You you read Hebrews 6 and you might say, well, what does it mean? He, He was once enlightened, but now he's fallen away. What does that mean? Could that mean that he's losing his salvation? We can rule that interpretation out because Jesus says, Those who come to me, I'll in no one's cast out. No one's going to snatch them from my hands. Therefore, less clear portions of Scripture must mean something different. Well, let me leave you tonight by reading to you chapter 17 of our 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. I don't think I could state the doctrine of perseverance any better than this. Those whom God has accepted in the Beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, and given the precious faith of his elect unto, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved, seeing the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, from which source he still begets and nourisheth in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all graces of the Spirit unto immortality." And though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet they shall never be able to take them off that foundation and rock which by faith they are fastened upon. Notwithstanding through unbelief and the temptations of Satan, the sensible sight of light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them, yet he is still the same 
and they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation, where they shall enjoy their purchased possession, they being engraven upon the palm of his hand, and their names having been written in the book of life from all eternity. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with Him, the oath of God and abiding of His Spirit and the seed of God within them and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. And though they may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their preservation fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure, grieve His Holy Spirit, and come to have their graces and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Yet they shall renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. Aren't you glad that God has secured us in the Lord Jesus Christ and has promised to persevere us unto the end? The perseverance of the saints is the perseverance of the Son of God in His saints. And that is a work that by the grace of God is already taking place in you and will certainly take place until it is culminated in your glorification.